looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 is where we're going to start this morning. Let me begin reading the scripture and then we'll dive into it. Verse 14 says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And Christ died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ's sake to be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, we just pray that as we open your scriptures and then we dive into this, that your spirit would speak to us, that you might reveal some things to us today that we need to hear. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to 2024. Did you guys realize you're in a new year? It's been seven days. You gotten used to that idea yet? Have you had to write down 2024 anywhere? Or did you mess up? Did you still put 2023? That's always the hardest thing this first week is to remember what year you're in. It's a, it's a new beginning, but even more importantly than welcoming you into a new year, I want to welcome you to your life. Did you know that it's happening right now? That literally you are living your life. This is the moment. This is it. Sometimes we get caught up in thinking about the past. Sometimes we get caught up thinking about what's happening in the future. But I just wanted to take a moment this morning to pause and to think about the reality that your life is happening right now. And as we step into a new year, this is one of those times where people begin asking deep questions. They begin thinking about deep things. I mean, we talk about New Year's resolutions, but transitions like this, when you move from one year to the next and a new time period or a new thing, you begin asking questions like this. Well, how do I make the changes that I need to make in this new year so that this is a little bit better than the year before? Sometimes we start asking questions like, what is my purpose? Like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Like, what's, what's the reason for my life? We ask tough questions like that. Like, we ask, you know, how can I make a difference in my life? And then we also think about how can we make a difference in the lives of those people that we love? Like, what can we do to, to make their lives better as we're moving into this new year? Sometimes we think about things like this. Does God have a plan for me? Is, is there a plan, God? Is there something that you're, you're thinking and this is what I, what I need to know? Uh, does God have a plan for me? And some of us begin thinking about this. How many licks does it take to get to the sensor of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop? Well, all of these questions are important questions. They're all things that we need to be thinking about. 
things that are sometimes tough. And, and one of the things I got to do as a pastor this morning is this, is I want to be careful not to overpromise and underdeliver this morning. But I can assure you that this morning we're going to tackle all of those tough questions that I just mentioned, except for the Tootsie Pop one. <laughs> Why? Because the truth is the world may never know how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. But I want to begin this morning with this thought. I want to begin, the, the, the thing is this, is if we want to get to the right place, we have to ask the right questions. Like if you're, you're, if you're figuring out how to get from one place to the next, and, and one of the things that my wife loves and I love to do, I just, you learn things about me as I'm here, is we love The Amazing Race. Have you guys ever watched The Amazing Race? It's just, it's just a good show. And we just finished last year's season, and one of the things that's always important is you got to get those directions right. It always comes down to, can you get from point A to point B in time, and then if you get to point A and point B in time, and then you, you, know, you do your thing, and then you can move forward. But if you get lost along the way, you're going to end up losing the amazing race. One of the most important things to ask is this, is what are the right questions to be asking? If I want to get from point A to point B, if I want to move my life in a new direction, if I want to do something significant in this new year, what questions do I need to be asking? Another thing that's kind of important is this, is you want to be asking, not asking the wrong questions. And one of the wrong questions that I want to point out this morning is this, is literally, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? You see, this is what many people think Christianity is all about. They think that Christianity is all about what does God want from me? People think like, well, God wants your money, or God wants your sacrifice, or God wants your devotion. But here's the thing, and I want to make sure you get this this morning. This is important. This is why this is a wrong question. God does not need anything from you. One of those cheesy movies that came out a few years ago, Tom Cruise was in it, Jerry Maguire. Do you remember the famous, famous line that he comes back to try to convince the girl to, to come to him? What's he say to her? He says, you complete me. You guys know this movie. God is not Jerry Maguire. Let me explain. And Tom Cruise is not God, but that's a whole other discussion. So... <laughs> God doesn't need somebody else to complete him. God doesn't need somebody else to make him more than he is. God is fully complete in himself. Like he's literally not lacking anything. And if, let's just say if, God needed anything, do you know what he's able to do? He's able to speak and that thing happens. It's not like God needs you to do something to make God a, you know, a better God. And there's nothing that you could do that would literally add to who God is. So imagine that you're standing at the ocean. Imagine that you're standing at the beach. You're on the beach. You're in the sand. You're looking out at this infinite ocean. It just goes off to the horizon. And you got a cup of water in your hand. And you take the cup of water and you stand over there by the edge of the beach and you pour that cup of water out into the ocean. You just, you dump your whole eight ounces into the ocean. Is the ocean any wetter? 
than it was before. I mean, technically, yes, there's eight more ounces of water in the ocean. But really, is the ocean any more wet than it was before? And you see, that's kind of how it is with God. It's like we stand before this infinite God who is holy. We stand before an infinite God that, that can do anything that he wants to do. And there's nothing we can do to add to him or make him better. You know, the interesting thing is this. It's a good principle to think about. There are times that I think God does ask us as believers to, to sacrifice or to give or to do something. Always. Remember this principle. When God asks you to give something or do something or sacrifice something, it's always to improve your life and the lives of other people. You see, God doesn't ask us to sacrifice to make him a better God. God asks us to sacrifice to make us better people. So when you ask, what does God want from me? It's, it's actually a pretty bad question. Well, what's a better question? What does God want for me? Not this what he wants from me. Because when you think about what does he want from me, that gets you into this pattern of, of just living a religious life, just living ritual, just living to the rules. Because you're always thinking about what does God want from me? And it gets you away from thinking about having a real relationship with Jesus. And when you really think about it, God is more in the business of looking out for us than we are looking out for him. What does God want for me? You know, this is a deep thought. But we would not even know that God exists unless he reached out to us. Unless he revealed himself to us. We wouldn't even know that he was there. We might take guesses at the universe. We might think, well, how did this happen? Or what did this do? Or all this kind of stuff. But we wouldn't know who God was unless he chose to reveal himself to us. You know, from the beginning of creation, when God breathed his first breath into a human being, God's mission from that very beginning point has been to love us, to inspire us, to provide for us, to be our Savior, and for time and time again, to save us from ourselves. God's mission has been, what can I do to show my love to these people? God is not in this for himself. He's involved with us because he's in it for us. If you don't believe me, all you got to do is look at Jesus. Literally, this Jesus who left everything behind to become one of us so that he could be like us, so that he could die for us. So what does God want for us this morning? You guys ready for this one? As we're thinking about this really big question, let's dive into the scripture. But I'm going to do it backwards. I want to start with the last verse, and then we're going to go back to the first verse, and then we're going to get back to the last verse. Is that confusing? Then hang on. First thing I want to talk to you about is this, is in 2024 and for the rest of your life, you know what God wants for you? He wants to change your status. 
He wants to change your status. He wants to change your status from what it was to what it could be. Look at this in verse 21. God made Jesus, that's the him, who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. There is so much in this verse. And can you see the miraculous thing that is happening that's described in this verse? You see, Jesus became sin. He took our sins upon himself. According to this verse, Jesus never sinned. Jesus never deserved the punishment that he got. He never deserved to go to the cross. But he took our sin and he took our punishment so that we could become the righteousness of God. Look at what he's saying is here. It says, because of what Jesus did, we become righteous. And it's not just a kind of righteous. It's the righteousness of God. So it's not like we just become better people. We don't just get to be a better version of ourselves. We get to be the best version of ourselves because now we have the righteousness of God. It's a, it's a mind-boggling thing. It's ludicrous when you think about it. That we bring to Jesus our sins. We bring to Jesus our sinfulness. We bring to him our mistakes, our failures, the things where we've messed up. And what do we get in return? We get back the righteousness of God. That's what God was up to in Jesus. That's what this whole Jesus event was about. Now, I don't usually tell people to do this. But if you do have a Bible with you, maybe a couple of you do. I want you to get your pen out. And you can underline it if this feels sacrilegious to you. But, but I'm just going to let you know. I want you to mark out a word in your Bible. <sighs> Don't tell anybody I said that. Uh, but this is, this, is what, this is what I mean. I want you to mark out the word might in that verse. Do you see the word might on the screen? The word might is not actually in the original Greek. It's when they took the original Greek and they tried to translate it into English so that we would understand it. They put the word might in there to give us the illusion of a future tense thought. But what I don't want you to do is be confused by that word might. Because the idea is that, you know, well, because of this, because of what Jesus did, that maybe someday, maybe we might become the righteousness of God. When you go back and look at the original Greek, it doesn't say that. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we become the righteousness of God. It's not, the word might is not in there. So what I want to do for you this morning is this, is to, is to get rid of any possibility that you think that when you put your faith in Jesus that you will not become this. In God's mind, it's a done deal. It's literally forecast that it will happen, that God said this will happen, and it's going to happen. So there's no might, there's no maybe, there's no if, ands, or buts. This is what God wants for you. He wants to make us righteous. Well, what does that mean, righteous? It can be a legal term. It's the idea that, that your mistakes are, are gone, that, you're, that, you've, that you, those things are in your past. It's, it's a legal term that refers to right standing. But I want to show you how this process works. When God says he wants to make you righteous, it begins with right standing. But that's not the end of it. You see, we begin with right standing. And when we begin to realize, wow, I am considered righteous before God, it begins to help us have better thoughts. We begin to think better as human beings. 
And so we have a righteous standing and we begin to think better. And when we begin to think better, we start making better decisions as people. And as we start to make better decisions, then we start, you know, we start doing more right things. And then as we begin to do more right things and we get in a habit and the pattern and we begin to try to keep doing the right things, eventually all those right things, they just start to add up and they start to add up. And eventually in the course of our lives, somehow as we do right things and we think right thoughts, we actually become the person that God intended for us to be in the first place. We start off with right standing, it changes our right thinking, and then our right thinking moves us into right living. That's how we become the righteousness of God. We become what God already says we are. It's a cool thought. All right, you guys ready to move on? What else does God want for us? Second thing that God wants to do for us is this, He wants to give us motivation. He wants to motivate us. He doesn't want us just to have these right thoughts, but he wants us to, to motivate us to do the right things. How can we be motivated in 2024? Look at what it says here in verse 14. So we're going from 21 to 14. Now we're going back to the beginning. It says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What does it mean to be compelled by the love of Christ? To really think about that, like you're, you're motivated, you're pushed, you're driven, you're, you, you launch into your life because you are compelled by the love of Christ. Well, that word compelled in the Greek is the word sancheo. Sounds Spanish, doesn't it? It literally means this, to hold together. It, that's what it means. It means to hold together. At least that, like, if you're holding it together so that it doesn't fall apart, you're, you're, you're holding something together. And uh, it's the idea of constraining it and compressing it, to hold it together with your hands. So I know we're a long way from summer, <laughs> but some of you have ever been swimming with a group of people? And, and you got one of those guys in the group. It's usually a guy. Uh, it's usually one of those pesty boys or a guy who thinks he's still a pesty boy. And, and, and they take their hands and they sort of cup it like this. Does anybody have this mad skill? Because I, I've never been too good at it, but I've seen people who do it. And, and they, they cup their hands. And, and as, as they, they get into the water and they scoop up some water in their hands. And then, and then they like to take it and do this. They squeeze it. Sometimes it makes a, a funny noise. And they squeeze it, and, and when, they, when they squeeze that water that's compressed in their hands, what happens? It shoots out of the back of their hands. They like to get people right in the eyeballs, don't they? I mean, you ever seen somebody do this? You know what I'm talking about? This is the imagery. This is the imagery that Christ's love holds us so tightly that he, he holds us together, that he squeezes us so tightly that what happens, that we are compelled, we are forced out of, the, out of the hands, that his love is so intense that it drives us into action, that it pushes us out into the world, that because we are loved by Christ, we just can't be the same anymore. That his love is so impactful, it's so life-changing, it's, it's so radical I mean, to know that you're loved the way that Christ loved you, there's nothing else you can do except be a different person. 
Because of what Jesus did for us, it's, it's no longer possible for us to just live selfish lives anymore. Because of what Jesus did for us, we can't just be self-centered. Like, we just can't think about ourselves all the time, and that's all we think about. How do I, how do, I do this for me? How do I get this for me? How do, I do, how do I make my life better? How do I do? You can't just do that anymore when you really begin to understand the love that Jesus has for us. It's a game changer. It's one of those life-changing types of love. When, you, when you're just thinking about that Jesus died for us, that Jesus lived for us, that, that he was resurrected for us, all these things happen. That love compels you. It forces you into action. And you can't live that way anymore. But wait, there's more. What else does God want to do for you in 2024? God wants to give you a new perspective. A new way of seeing things. Let's look at what he says in verse 16. Paul's telling us this. He says, from now on, from now on, like literally, okay, that's just how we used to do it. Now we're going to do it differently. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do it that way no more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. So Paul's saying, you used to think about things this way, but now we have to think about things differently. Literally, that Jesus event, that Christ event, him coming, it changes our perspective. It changes the way we see ourselves, and it changes the way we see other people. So let's talk about ourselves first. How can we change the way I see ourselves? You guys know I, 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 I'm a big, I love music. Like if, I just listen to music all the time. I just always like to have music playing, even if I'm not even thinking about it. And you guys know that I love 80s songs. And I've talked about a lot of 80s songs that I love. But you know, when you have a, a love list, I also have 80s songs that I totally hate. I mean, they're just bad songs. Uh, some of you probably are thinking about a couple of them right now. You're just like, oh, that was, that was horrible. Like, really? That was on the radio? People listened to this? People bought this? I mean, you probably have your own list. That might be something fun for you guys to send to me. Like, you're, you're, give me a list of your least favorite 80s songs, okay? I would love to hear what yours are. But I gotta tell you, at the top of my list, one of the songs that is, that is like, it's, it's just right up there, man. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible, horrible song. And uh, if, if, if one of you are in this band, I apologize. Uh, but um, the band was called the Human League. And uh, they had bad haircuts. Um, but the song was even worse. The song was actually called Human. Do you guys remember the song by Human League called Human? Let me explain what's going on in the song. There's this guy singing. And basically what he's doing, he's singing to his girlfriend or his wife or his significant other. I don't quite know who he's singing to. But what he's doing in this song is he's singing to this person and he's, he's making excuses for having an affair to this other person in the song. And I remember the, remember the lyrics of the song because it, even the chorus just makes me cringe to think about it. But this is it. He said, I'm only human of flesh and blood I made human born to make mistakes 
It's so pathetic. This is, this is a horrible song. And then, then you listen to the first half of the song, and you go, oh, yeah, he's only human. You know, he's born to make mistakes. And then you get to the second half of the song, and what do you find out? That his girlfriend, while she was gone, had an affair with, on him. Like, they both were doing each other wrong. And so what happens at the end of the song? She sings the line back to him. She goes, well, I'm only human. <laughs> of flesh and blood I made. Human. Born to make mistakes. Do you see why I hate this song? <laughs> it's such a bad song. And yes, we are only human beings. We were born human beings. We were born human beings, right? But human beings were not born just to make mistakes. We were born for something more. That wasn't our purpose. That's not why we were created. That's not, our, in our, you know, it's not just our DNA to only screw up. To only get it wrong. And then when you think about this verse, those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? Maybe we were born human beings, but because of what Jesus has done, we've become something more. We're more than just humans. We have something else inside of us. And Paul says this, from now on, from this point forward, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. We don't think of ourselves as just human beings living on earth and just trying to survive and making mistake after mistake after mistake. You know, if we continue with this perspective Thinking that we're only human, thinking that we're only sinners, thinking that that's just the best that we could do, we will never become the something more that God wants us to be. If we're just satisfied with being mediocre, if we're just satisfied with living small lives, we're okay with giving up. We're okay with giving in. We will not experience that much life. That'll be your experience, a small life. Why? Because you never expect that much of yourself. And what Paul is saying here is, don't think of yourself that way anymore. Don't think of yourself the old way. Don't think of yourself who just continues to sin and continues to blow it, continues to mess it up. Think of yourself as a new creation. The old is gone, and the new is what? The new is coming in. You, every day, you can be a little bit more righteous. Every day, you can be a little bit more like Jesus. It could begin with just the way you think, but then eventually it becomes how you act, and then it becomes who you are. Every day we can move forward into this new life. You're not only human. It's time to expect something more. It's time to be something more. It's time to step up and step into the new creation that God has made us to be. As Paul said, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So that means us. We shouldn't see ourselves the same way, but we also should not see other people like that either. Do you, do you get where this is going? We need to stop seeing people the way they used to be. 
We need to stop seeing people the way they were. And we need to start thinking about the people in our lives and the people that we interact with more about who they could be or who they're going to be or who they will be or try to start seeing them from God's perspective instead of seeing them from our perspective. So many times we just get so caught up on everybody's flaws and how we've been hurt or what people have, people have let us down or, or disappointments. And you know, we, we've got to be those kind of people who begin to believe in other people. We've got to be people who stop judging people for the sins of their past, mistakes and their failures. We need to be the people that offer grace in this moment. We got to see other people from a different perspective. We need to be people who have faith to believe good things for other people in their future. I mean, this world, let's be honest, it, it can get really dark. This world, it can beat you down, it can steal your hope, it can like squeeze the life right out of you, like, a, like an orange. Just the, your juice of life is just squeezed out of you. I don't want to be somebody who adds pain to someone else's life. I don't think you do either. We got we to gotta figure out how to be something more for them, for the people that we love. I've been thinking about my mission, like what am I here for? What's my purpose? And I know one of those things that's part of my mission is this, is to see the people around me to see that their lives are better. To see that they have a little bit more hope. To see that they get a little bit more grace. To see that they know that they're loved just a little bit more. Like that's part of my mission and I think it's part of your mission too. I think it's what God has put us here to do. I mean, who are we? Who are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be the followers of Jesus, right? We're supposed to be his church. We're supposed to be the people who've discovered real life and we know what true love is. That's who we're supposed to be. We're the people of faith, right? Aren't we? And we have the faith to believe in God's grace for ourselves, but we need to start believing in God's grace for other people too. We should be calling out the good that we see in other people. One of the core teachings of Scripture is that all of us, all of us, every person on this planet and those on the space station or wherever else they're at, all of us were created in the image of God. Something, some spark, some inspiration, some, something about every person who lives has the image of God. It's still there. It might be hidden behind some scar tissue. It might be uh, blurred because of the painful experiences that someone has had in their life. It might be buried underneath these layers and layers of like self-protective strategies where you just, it's hard to see it. But somewhere in the midst of all that, there's an image of God that's in each one of us. And people of faith, man, we've got to be people of faith who are calling out that goodness in people. If we can believe in someone else, maybe by God's grace, 
they can find a way to believe it for themselves. That's what it means to be people of faith. So God's already, man, he's changing our status. Oh my gosh, God is changing our, our perspective. I mean, what else has God changed? My goodness. He wants to, to change the way we see ourselves. He wants to change the, the way that we see others. He wants to give us a new motivation in life. He wants to, to be compelled by the love of Christ. One last thing that I want to point out this morning is God wants to give you a new perspective. I mean, a new purpose. A new purpose. Let's look at verse 18 to 20. And all this, all this we've talked about, all this is from God, who did what? He reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the mission, the ministry of reconciliation. So as God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So as through God is making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled with God. God wants to give you a new purpose. And if there's anything, I think we can all be in agreement on this. If there's anything that our world needs in 2024, it's reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It's the bringing together of people. It's the bringing together of people with God. It's, it's reconciling things. It's, it's taking things that were broken and, and putting them back together. And God has called us to be reconcilers. This world is fractured. It's, it's fractured. It's broken. It's falling apart at the seams sometimes. People are so divided. It seems like hate is, is literally steering the ship. That hate guides people's decisions in the world. Relationships are breaking. Friendships are severed. People just can't find common ground or discover anything that they can agree upon. If there's anything that describes what this world needs more than reconciliation, I don't know what it is. We've got to find a way to get reconnected. Great example here is this. So over here we have a keyboard. I don't know anything about keyboards. I'm not even going to pretend to play this. I'm afraid I might even mess it up if I touch it. But this, this is an instrument. It's, it's an instrument. Then, we, then back here, what do we got? Oh, this is a guitar, right? Different instruments. Like this one works one way, you push the keys. This one, you, you, you pluck the strings. I mean, this, is, this, is, this, is, this one is, is, makes one sound. This one makes another sound. They're, they're completely different instruments. And then over here, we got another guitar. This is a completely different guitar. This guitar is different than that guitar. This is a bass guitar. So we have an, an acoustic, we have a bass, we've got an electric, we've got a keyboard. We've got all these different instruments. They're, they were made differently. They, they have different sounds. They're made for different purposes. They have different functions. But what do you do with these instruments? You use them to create harmony. When you bring these instruments together, you create harmony. And that's what we're supposed to be about when it comes to reconciliation. We're all different. 
We all have different perspectives. We all grew up different ways. We all see the world in, in different things. But what does God do through his spirit? He brings us into harmony with one another so that it sounds great when we come together. And boy, it sounds bad when we don't. When we hit the wrong key, it's just, it hurts your ears. But when you bring these different things together, man, there's a harmony. And that's what a reconciler is. A reconciler, it restores balance, promotes harmony, brings things together. Now, the most important thing I want to point out is this. As people of faith, as we are, people who believe in Jesus, we understand this, that the most important part of reconciliation is this, is reconnecting people to God. Like until people get reconnected with God, their creator, the one who loves them, the one who, who put them on this planet, the one who, you know, until we get reconnected with God, until we get reconciled with God. And that's what Paul's saying. We got to help people get reconciled with God. We got to bring them here. We got to have conversations with them. We got to encourage people. We got to call out the good in their lives so that they can see it for themselves. We got to do all those things as ambassadors of Christ, man. That's what we're doing, Right? As reconcilers, we're bringing them back to God. So when people get back with God, they can be back in harmony with who they were made to be and created to be. That's what we're looking for. And until that is settled, until someone gets restored in their relationship with God, somehow their life is always going to be out of harmony. They'll always be out of tune with the universe. Why? Because the universe is the song that God is playing. People want to connect with the universe. They want to be a part of this bigger power. The only way to get in tune with God's song is to be connected to Him. And that's what Jesus did. Back to where we started, verse 21. God made Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did that for us. God loves you. God is for you, and he is not against you. And Jesus, who never sinned, who didn't deserve the cross, he chose it. For you. Jesus became my sin. He became your sin. He took our sins upon us. Why? So that we might be restored, reconciled, brought back together in harmony with God. And Jesus did that for me. Jesus did that for you. The question this morning is simply this. What's our response to that? How do you respond to that love? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what you have done for us. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling. It's ludicrous. But, but all of this, it's, it's all been one giant love story. And you've been the one reaching out to us the whole time. Showing us beauty and creation. Giving us the ability to think and to dream and to vision and Letting us experience this thing you created called love. All the good things in this life, Lord, have been brought to us because of you. And Lord, you want to bring us back into harmony. You want us to join the song that the universe is playing. The song that brings you glory.
The song that points to you, the point that points to your majesty. We want us to be in harmony with that and in harmony with you and in harmony with one another. Lord, I pray that 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 would impress upon us, it would compel us, that it would move us. It would help us see that life is better with you, not without you. That as we move into a new year, a life, a new year without you would be a wasted year. I pray that we might see that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.